0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the third Sunday of a peep, and as you know, the church has a set readings for every one of the Sundays throughout the calendar year. If there's a fifth Sunday during a Coptic month, we usually we usually read the same gospel, which is regarding the five loaves and two fish. So a couple weeks ago was the, a fifth Sunday, so we read the same exact gospel that we read today. And today's gospel is just a, a normal reading, and it happens to be about the five loaves and two fish. A couple of weeks ago, it is that fifth Sunday. But along with these gospels, you also may know that uh, every Sunday we read a passage from the Epistle of St. Paul. One, from the epistle to the Catholic epistles, which are the universal epistles to everyone, uh, written by James, John, and Peter, and Jude. And we also read a book a passage from the book of Acts, and a section from church history in our Senexarium. So, but today, if we can point our attentions to today's passage on the Catholic or universal epistles from St. James, specific, specifically from St. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, about the use of our speech as an instrument um, and how we deal with each other and how we deal with God. So St. James first begins with warning that teachers receive a stricter judgment. In the preceding chapter um, in the book of St. James, we hear about the importance of works and that without works, faith is dead. So St. James here transitions to this chapter with a stricter judgment on teachers when they receive um that the teachers receive when their works are not aligned with the things that they teach so the teachers receive a a stricter judgment when their works are not aligned with what they are teaching when they don't walk the walk they just talk the talk and without walking the walk but the good teacher is of course one who has integrity he follows through with what he's saying and his and his actions are in line with what they they uh what they say even under pressure so actions of course speak louder than words we know that uh, Pope Corolla says that he who does not repent after hearing after seeing your word I'm sorry he who does not repent after seeing your actions will not repent after hearing your words one's words do not carry weight if our actions are in contradiction to our words so dead faith without works oftentimes drives the teacher to not focus on his own character, or his own personality, his own spiritual life, but focuses more on judging others. And so that's why St. James here says, be careful, uh, don't let many of you become teachers because of course teachers receive that greater judgment if they are not in line with the things that they teach. So such a teacher would look down on others, judge others, not reflecting on his or her own shortcomings, uh, that's why St. James continues and reminds us that we all stumble in many things He goes on to create analogies of what the tongue the tongue is our instrument of speech and What that tongue is and he creates a few analogies the first one He says that a bit in a horse's mouth that controls the whole body So a bit is about this, you know about a few inches long and it controls the whole body of a very powerful creature the horse right just by a little bit of movement that little bit controls that whole horse. <clears throat> he says also the tongue is like a small rudder that controls a huge ship so that the sailor can use this small rudder, rudder no matter how fierce the winds are and no matter what the waves are, are like, this little rudder can control the whole ship. He also likens the tongue to a fire, a small fire that kindles a great forest. That's what the tongue is like. So though the tongue is very small, it's a small member of our body, um, its words and um, the things that we say have a lot of impact. And both positive and negative, of course, but and also potential over a great number of people. So the little tongue has a huge impact and it impacts a lot of people's lives. Take, for example, um, one who backstabs. Let's kind of dive deeper into the slanderer. And how he uses his speech and and how he backstabs. We know that it's been an issue since the beginning of time. um, And it's an even issue now, whether it's at work or church or, you know, family, whatever. If we were to raise our hands and say, who has ever heard backstabbing before? All of us would raise our hand. Who has ever backstabbed? All of us would raise our hand. Who has ever um, been a victim of backstabbing? All of us would raise our hand, right? I mean, it, it affects all of us. We know it's been an issue since the beginning of time. That's why one of the um, Ten Commandments is that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in Romans 1.30, St. Paul mentions backbiting or the people who backstab or slander people with the same category as murderers and fornicators. So murderers, because they kill the flesh, um, backstabber can potentially kill somebody's spiritual life if they're young in the spiritual um, path and they hear backstabbing maybe they can stumble to the point of losing their salvation. <clears throat> and in Proverbs 17:9, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. The intent of course of a backstabber is that he may hurt the honor of somebody else or maybe undermine the work of someone else. But what is the situation of the backstabber? St. John Chrysostom says that he who plots against his neighbor first destroys himself. He needs to fear because Christ says, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be uh, condemned. Therefore, the person who backstabs kind of throws himself in front of the judgment seat of Christ. He throws himself, um, uh, though he's trying to destroy others, he's really destroying himself. It's like when somebody tries to fight fire with hay right he's trying to kill a fire but instead he's throwing hay on it it's actually going to consume him right or kicking nails um, what's going to happen he's going to be the one to bleed or if he hits a rock he's going to hurt himself right so if you walk on fire you're going to end up burning and so the backstabber usually ends up hurting himself more than anything else in revelations 12:10, a backstabber embraces a personality um, trait, a, a characteristic of Satan himself. What do we call Satan? We call one of Satan's names is the accuser. All he does day and night is accuse us. He backstabs us. He tries to bring out our sins in front of people and in front of God. And the only thing holding his back on his accusations against us is the love and mercy of God who's protecting us. So he tries to injure others, but he injures himself and his own reputation um, in front in, in front of the eyes of God when he's trying to injure the honor and reputation of one person in the eyes of other people. He injures that in front of God himself. Um, and we know that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So God came to cover our sins and to honor us and the backstabbers, do they complete opposite. They want to expose sins and by their words and by their tongue, and they want to dishonor people. The backstabbing, of course, is usually either very exaggerated or outright lies in the first place. <clears throat> but even if it's true, we know the story of Saint Macarius, for example. One time, one of the monks of the monastery was um, uh, engaging in uh, something inappropriate with a, another person of the opposite gender, And the other monks in the monastery, they saw that. And so they went to the abbot of the monastery, who was St. Macarius. And so St. Macarius then uh, takes the monks and and goes to that person's cell. He opens the door, and sure enough, he sees what's going on. So he closes the door again before going in, and he says with a loud voice, I'm going to go in here, and if it is as you say, this brother will be punished. He says it loud enough so that the brother on the inside hears him. So he looks again, and he's hiding the the person of the opposite gender in a like a little chest. And then he goes, and finally St. Macarius goes inside and sits on the chest. And he tells the brothers to go around the room and look for the lady. Of course, they go around, they can't look. And because of his age and because of his beard and that really long white beard, you know, his uh, sanctity... Uh, they didn't dare to ask him to get up off of the, the chest so that they can look underneath. So he says, have you found him? And they said, no. He said, okay, well then apologize to this man. So that they he made all the other brothers apologize to the person who was sinning. After the brothers left, the one brother remained. He brought out the girl from the chest and said, sin no more and God protect you. And they both repented in tears and tears. Um, And they both went on uh, and lived a spiritual life for the rest of their life. After those two left the uh, church, uh, or after the two left the cell, St. Macarius heard a voice saying, Blessed are you, Macarius, because today you have become like your Savior, in that you have hidden the sins of your brothers. You have become like your Savior because you've hidden the sins of your brother. So even if the backstabbing is true, it's not appropriate for us to demean our brothers and sisters to to um, dishonor them but the backstabber doesn't just throw himself in front of the judgment seat of Christ he has the audacity to throw the listeners in front of the judgment seat of Christ as well as the person backstabbed because both the listener and the person who's the victim of backstabbing they will both also be responsible for how they react let's take the listeners for example in Psalm 52 4 you love all devouring words, O oh, you deceitful tongue. If the tongue is a fire like St. James today describes the tongue as a fire that sets ablaze a whole forest, then the listeners are like gasoline on the fire. They encourage that consuming fire. They're eager. Who are, who are these listeners of backstabbing? People who listen to such things are those who desire to look at other people's faults rather than their own. Maybe it's a way of avoiding looking at our own faults when we're eager to hear about the faults of others. We enjoy finding these things, but Saint Paul says, "But why do you judge your brother, or why do you not, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ." The um, the listener is kind of like a um, if you ever watch the Discovery Channel and you know you see the lion sneak up on uh, the deer and and it finally catch the deer and you, we kind of enjoy watching that kind of spectacle take place we kind of enjoy watching the backstabber attack uh, somebody else maybe one person from our community or maybe we see somebody who's famous we enjoy watching that because it avoids and it turns attention away from my own sins. so i i'd rather look at that so what should the listener do when he's approached with such uh, backstabbing or slander? There's a couple techniques to, to deal with this. So first, you know, you, maybe you can change, just simply change the subject. That's the easy way. Somebody approaches you, you know it's going to be some slander, hey, how about them Lakers? You know, you kind of just change the subject. Well, that's not really even a talk today, they're not doing too well, but but you just try to change the subject and, and turn the attention away from the, the slander. But the more effective way is, in, as in stated in Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-three: the north wind drives away rain, so does an angry continus a backbiting tongue. You can tell the backbiter outright, I don't want to hear about the shortcomings of others, I'm too busy with my own shortcomings. If somebody were to... But it's difficult, right? If somebody were to come to you and say, I have a piece of juicy information about so-and-so, you've got to hear this. And then... Usually our ears, kind of our antennas go up and we want to hear what this person wants to say. But imagine if this person came to you and says, but before I tell you, it's about your mom, it's about your father, it's about your wife, it's about your husband, it's about your children, it's about your sister or your brother. How would your face look at them? Would you be? Would you suffer that they speak? Or would you stop them right there? Usually we cannot bear... Or endure that somebody says anything bad about our own family or about somebody we love. We are, we're throwing our chest to their face saying, don't even say anything like that. I don't want to hear it anymore. And you better not tell anyone else that. So that kind of angry continence, you know, that we say we don't want to have that being said about anyone we love, and that should be everyone. That should be the attitude we have when we're faced with that. It should be the same for all. So the listeners then are going to be held accountable for how they react, even though they didn't ask for this person to come to them. We didn't ask for life generally, but we are still responsible for the gift that God has given us, which is life. And when somebody comes to us and we didn't ask for backstabbing, we will still be responsible for how we deal with it. Now, what if you're a victim of backstabbing? In Corinthians 4.13, St. Paul says, Being defamed, we entreat. We see that the person who's a victim, and you might have seen this yourself, or maybe even when you're a victim, we have two reactions that we can do. We can um, react to. First one is bitterness and revenge. We're offended because of the loss of honor. We're bitter, and we lust for revenge sometimes. So we say, if he backs that me, I'm going to do the same right back at that person. Hebrews 12:15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fall fall of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many have become defiled. Bitterness eats away your soul. It affects you. And we should brush off any kind of uh, offense that anyone else gives us, because it doesn't hurt them, it doesn't hurt anyone else, it only hurts ourselves. So we should brush it off and forgive them. Believe me, it's the easiest way. I've heard one person say, I'm too lazy to hold a grudge. I'm too lazy to hold a grudge because it, holding a grudge and holding that bitterness takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, and it affects your life dearly. Let us therefore um, look at the devices that our enemy uses right against us, because has when you have been back when you have been backstabbed, have you really lost your honor? What have you really lost, or is it only a deception? So when we look at our enemy and how he tempted Christ on the mountain. He tempted him with three things firstly he says um, he says here turn this um, rock into bread but who is Christ he is the bread of life right which came down from heaven he tried to provoke Christ to arrogance by saying lest you dash your foot against the stone but who is the stone which the builders have rejected and has become the chief cornerstone that stone which whoever falls Upon the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to power. And of course, the chief cornerstone that is that the church is built on. And also, Christ uh, was tempted by Satan with kingship. He said, if you worship me, I'll, become, I'll make you king. But who is Christ? He is the what? The king of kings, right? So he tempted Christ with things he already had and who already, he already was. If you look at Adam and Eve, it's the same thing. He said that if you eat of this tree, you will become like. You will become like God. Were they already like God? They were already like God, and in their purity, they would have maintained being like God. They only lost their, their um, ability to be like God when sin entered into them, and they became corrupted. So our honor is already given to us who act properly in the face of any kind of betrayal or any kind of slander or backstabbing. So then, do we really lose anything? I would say no, in fact, our, whether or not we gain or lose is, is governed by how we react to the backstabbing, not the backstabbing itself. So when we're backstabbed, we look at the big picture, the backstabbing, um, the backstab should show a little bit of endurance and patience and love. By doing so, they'll gain character and strength, and eventually they'll become freer from the care of what other people think, and you know, where before maybe they were a slave of what other people think, if you fight against uh, backstabbing internally, maybe the end result will be that you lose what other uh, the care of what other people think. You become free of this. <clears throat> like the apostles themselves, but when Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. So they cared more about what God thought, much more than what other people thought. And of course we have Christ as our clear and shining example as when Judas betrayed him, what did he call Judas? Did he rebuke Judas? He called him friend. He said, friend, why have you come? So in the height of the betrayal, he calls him a friend. And though he had power to take swift justice and revenge on him, by the way, he did not. The Lord gave him time for repentance. And we often say that Judas um, could have repented, but um, he is the one who closed the door, not Christ himself. He's the one who closed the door when he committed suicide. But as in all trials or troubles, if we endure it patiently and with faith, the backstabbed will shine forth with a greater reserve of strength and power uh, than those who were never backstabbed in the first place. So the so does the backstabbers who cannot control their tongues bring such a large spectacle to to take place. He just with a few words now all of a sudden he's in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe hundreds of people have been impacted by what he's said, and then there's been some innocent victims as well who have suffered. That's the audacity of the backstabber, and of course, um, God is watching all of this, and so are the demons, and so are the angels and the saints, um, and all of us as well. So because we know what happens eventually if the person endures, that that things that the person said backstabbing ends up actually hurting himself right it actually goes back and making him look worse than what he was before he said anything so see how many people are involved in just a few words these people did not ask to be involved but nevertheless will be held accountable for how they react to it so saint james continues and says my brethren Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and and complete, wanting nothing. Our Lord Lord looks at the case of all who are involved and has the rewards and punishments. This is why St. James calls the tongue evil. He says, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. When we use our tongue, we um, by which we bless God in prayer. Uh, oftentimes, we bless God in prayer. We bless each other, but then when somebody turns away, we are then hurting and cursing and um, hurting people's image, who are cre- who are also created in God's image Himself. Right? We direct our insult to God directly because people are created in His image, and when we backstab that image, we are backstabbing God himself. There are practical steps then uh, for, that we should consider if we find ourselves not using our tongue for the right thing. And backstabbing was just one example. We have other types of hurtful language that we can say to other people that hurt us, that hurt other people. And uh, there's, if we find ourselves saying these things, then there's a few things that we could do. Firstly, as Pope Shenouda said, that if you want to say kind words... Work on having a kind heart. Work on your insides and your words, like all of our actions reflect on what's inside of us. That's why St. James in that epistle says, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Our words, like all of our actions, are fruits of our spiritual life. Another another tool we can use is to reduce idle talk. And we say this when we talk to our teenage uh, children uh, who want to call their friends and just chat for no reason. What is that chatting that idle talk usually turn into? Gossip, right? And, and backstabbing. And so um, idle talk generally uh, usually trends towards something that we're going to be ashamed of saying later, right? So we shouldn't just talk for the sake of talking, but have our talking mean something and, uh, you know uh, you know, make somebody's life better and, and positive rather than uh, just be idle. And in fact, we should reduce talking generally. Um, earlier in that same epistle, St James says, "So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath." A church father once said that um, he uh, never regretted, uh, being silent but he's regretted many times when he's talked when he said something he shouldn't have said Uh, we we also know that there's no better way to reveal your ignorance than talking too much Um, I like the quote a fool is made more of a fool when their mouth is more open than their mind a fool is made more of a fool when their mouth is more open than their mind a fool vents his feelings but a wise man holds them back Proverbs 29.11 I also like what Saint um, Mother Teresa says. There should be less talk. Take a broom and clean someone's house. That says enough. Take a broom and clean someone's house. That says enough. There should be less talk generally. So God help us use our words for constructive and spiritually beneficial purposes to the glory of His holy name forever. Amen.